This episode of Craft Sanity is sponsored by Rena Ward's Nostalgems. Check out this crafter's Facebook page at facebook.nostalgems.com for a chance to win a brass heart initials necklace. This episode is also sponsored by Marianne Loverm of Wabi Sabi Brooklyn. See how she turns humble elements into elegant jewelry at wabisabibrooklyn.etsy.com. Welcome to episode 103 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm sure glad to be here to bring you a really interesting chat with Tron and Finson. I have to work really hard to pronounce his name correctly, and I hope I did you justice, Tron. Tron is the author of Hat Heads, One Man Plus Two Knitting Needles Equals 50 Fun Hat Designs. This is a really cool book that came across my desk not long ago. It's about a guy who started knitting, then started knitting a lot, started knitting hats for pretty much everyone he knew. Then, of course, uh, Flickr is a good way to get noticed, and uh, I say that even though I don't use it as much as I should, but I've heard a lot of stories about people who have sold photos or gotten book deals based on what they're posting, and that's exactly what happened I think you're going to enjoy the story of how this book came to be and how Chan ended up coming up with 50 designs and then writing patterns in English, which is not his native language. It's very impressive, and to do a, complete a whole podcast interview in a foreign language, too, is no small task. I think if uh, I was going to attempt to do this podcast in any language but English, you folks would not be able to understand much of what I was saying. So I really respect the fact that he was willing to take time out of his day to talk to me and tell me the, the great story behind this really fun book. It's unlike any other knitting book out there. He basically took the same pattern and just made some little tweaks to it, kind of around the top, like the band kind of goes around your forehead and over your ears. Uh, that's where a lot of the design work is happening. And He's taking that same pattern over and over and making it into something really cool. So right away when I saw the book, I'm like, I need to talk to this man. And I was not disappointed by the story he told. I posted one of his patterns actually from the cover on the blog uh, a while back, but I'm going to link to that again so you can easily find it. So you can kind of test out a pattern from the book. And if you like it, you can find 49 more uh, <laughs> from Hat Heads. And I just really enjoyed this. So Grab that knitting and or whatever other project you want to work on and settle in to hear the story of one man, two knitting needles, and all those fun hats he stitched up for the people in his life. You're in Norway. Where in Norway are you? I'm in uh, Stavanger. It's on the west coast, southwest coast of uh, Norway. Okay, and is it a pretty small town? In American terms, it's really, really small. In Norwegian terms, it's like, uh, I guess, the third or fourth biggest, uh, the fourth biggest uh, town. But like it's, uh, it's, it would, in American terms, be a, a village, I would say. Have you lived there all your life? Yes, uh, or in the region. I, I grew up in the neighboring city, which is even smaller. It's <laughs> called Sandnes. <laughs> <laughs> so how old are you now? I'm uh, 42. Okay. And have you been knitting your whole life? No, actually, I started knitting uh, three years ago. Well, impressive, and you already have a book out. Not everybody moves that quickly. <laughs> no, 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 that's true. Maybe, yeah. yes. So what is your day job? What do you do for a living? 
Uh, uh, now I'm a, I'm a journalist. Okay, do you work for a newspaper or a magazine? Uh, I, I work for, uh, I would, I guess you could say it's a small publisher uh, because uh, we make both uh, newspapers and uh, books. Uh, and actually it's two firms in one sort of, uh, but, we, but I make uh, three, mainly three magazines, uh, newspaper magazines, but they are like month magazines. Oh, they monthly. are only from, yeah, once a month. So they are sort of not a newspaper in that sense because uh, it's like, uh, it's not a daily thing. And did you go to college to be a journalist? And is that what you trained in? No, actually, actually, I'm uh, I'm schooled to be a teacher. And actually, I, 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 when I started this book and this knitting project, I was not a journalist. Or I, I did some freelancing, but I was it was just a small on small scale. So uh, the, this uh, journalist job I have had uh, for only uh, one and a half years, I think. Okay. Did you teach before that? Yes. Okay, so is that how you spent the bulk of your career before you became a journalist? Actually, I've been doing a lot of things. The teacher thing is, uh, I think I've been having a sort of uh, a little bit messy background, my sort of professional uh, way, because uh, I've been doing, uh, I haven't sort of found out what I wanted to do. And uh, the, uh, well, I, I used to study uh, quite many years ago at the university in Oslo, both in Stavanger and Oslo. And I studied both uh, the Norwegian language and mm -hmm. history and political science. These are all like theoretical uh, topics, and so I, I couldn't uh, sort of uh, make them uh, useful in <laughs> in terms of jobs and income. So uh, I went for pedagogics just to sort of get a more uh, fruitful uh, education and sure. be, uh, uh, have the opportunity to have a like a well-income job. Because I used to be before that, I used to be a bus driver. I had a, I thought I had like a big education and lots of loans debt. Right. for uh, for studying and I was like uh, a bit uh, sort of lost and frustrated because I didn't know quite what to do and I was unsatisfied being a bus driver and so the teacher thing was like uh, not something that I really wanted but uh, I saw maybe saw a way out of uh, a low paid job by by becoming a teacher I see how long did you teach Actually, it's hard to say because I used to be, uh, I don't know the English term, like a stand-in. Oh, or, like the uh, substitute teacher? Yeah. Yeah, like the substitute teacher. Uh, and uh, and I was a half year there, one year there, two months there, and uh, different schools uh, all the time. Okay. And I had a couple, uh, and the last year when I was uh, a teacher, it was a really tough year with uh, tough uh, kids uh, or like uh, lots of behavioral problems. and. Oh, uh, yeah. And it sort of uh, exhausted me totally. So uh, I had to just, uh, I had to, to, what do you call it, sick leave? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had to like, I, I had to sort of say to myself that I, I don't want to expose myself to this. So I, I, I had a sick leave. And actually it was that during that time I started knitting. Okay. And uh, my girlfriend was kind of uh, upset for a while because she uh, found herself having like a boyfriend just sat knitting all day. <laughs> she was worried. And... <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably a lot of men out there who could relate to, um, I mean, who, who have sat there with the girlfriend knitting <laughs> the whole time. And so she, yes, she, yes. Found, she found herself in this um, kind of the re reverse of that. So, oh, the um, reverse situation, yes, yes. But she was quite patient still, and uh, and uh, I think she she sort of saw that the the, the whole project got, got some momentum by uh, 
because we, I started like making photo or portraits out of the people I gave hats to, and we put the pictures on the internet and got a lot of attention. So it was, it sort of gradually evolved into a bit more than just a man sitting and knitting. <laughs> right, right, because you were doing, and, and, but did it start with a man just sitting and knitting? I mean, or did you right away decide, I'm making a hat and I'm giving this to my friend so-and-so, and then I'm going to take the picture? I mean, how much did you think and plan out ahead of time? When you first started, uh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't plan ahead at all. Actually, I uh, started knitting uh, one hat, two hats, three hats, and uh, quite. Uh, I, I found out that obviously I, I don't need more than one or two hats myself. So uh, it was a natural thing to just like give away and. And then gradually, also, I maybe I found it challenging to try to make the hats to specific persons and make them like a uh, fit to try to make hats that looks good, look good on the person I knitted for. And, uh, and, uh, and actually it was, uh, this, uh, this sensation of, uh, all my hats, like taking different directions, uh, was also, uh, it was a nice thing to give away, but still I, I wanted to sort of, uh, have a memory of the hats I made. So I, I contacted my, uh, friend, the one who has, uh, 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 taken the pictures in the book and I asked him uh, why don't we make uh, portraits out of these people that, uh, that I give hats to and uh, he agreed and to me then it's sort of uh, these uh, portraits become just became just as much the product as the hat themselves I got the sensation that this is like a, oh, this is like a, this is a cool creative different project and of course like all creative projects you maybe want to uh, expose and to show to other people and uh, close took the pictures found this uh, internet page this uh, web this uh, photo community called flickr.com we just put these pictures out made an own uh, like a group with these portraits and uh, and uh, the project sort of got a lot of attention and the publisher uh, Watson Gupsel came uh, found these pictures and they approached me and uh, came with this uh, suggestion of maybe uh, do you want to make a book out of this maybe and of course I wanted <laughs> to make a book <laughs> well so let's um put it in a, a timeline for people when did you start you started knitting you said about three years ago uh, maybe three and a half years ago, something like that. It was when I was in this, my final year as teacher, a colleague of mine, he got to know that I had the bus license. And he and his, and his uh, family, uh, they each year organized a bus trip for young people, for kids to uh, Kitzbühel in Austria. Okay. They were sort of short of a bus driver, and they are, he asked me, uh, "Would you like to come for a free ride to uh, to to Austria and to Kitzbühel? And uh, if you drive the bus, you'll have ski card and everything." And I said, "Yes, of course." And on this bus trip, there was a man, or one of the leaders, actually, was a really enthusiastic uh, person, and he was like uh, high and low. He was talking to everyone, and he was looking at the map, and he was calling hotels, and he was like uh, playing the guitar, and he was uh, <laughs> like, you, you imagine the person? Yeah, really, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really enthusiastic, and I was, uh, and it was, of course, a charismatic person, and, uh, and, uh, and, and once in a while, it was like just, uh, it was, uh, I didn't see him. It was like, oh, I, suddenly the bus was quite quiet, and I was wondering, oh, where is this, uh, where is this young man? And I was, and I found him in a bus seat uh, knitting. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he was knitting, uh, and he was knitting a hat. And I thought, hmm, 
looked quite sort of uh, fun and uh, calming and uh, at the same time creative and meditative and uh, and I just thought uh, okay when I get back home I'm I'm gonna knit a hat. <laughs> So that's how I actually started. So did he show you how, or did you just go home and? No, no, no. Out? He didn't show me anything. He, I, I didn't, I didn't say anything then to him or anyone. It was just an idea I got, uh, and it was uh, my girlfriend who taught me the the basic things when I got home and started. Do a lot of men knit where you live, or is this? I mean, because over here, I mean, men knit, but it's very rare. Yeah, it's the same here. It's a woman, a friend of ours, who is uh, like, uh, who, after I started knit, she was like uh, on a visiting here and she was knitting and I noticed she was knitting. And I said, oh, you knit? And she said, and both my, both her and my girlfriend were like, uh, huh, haven't you seen that? She's always been knitting. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so I, I think it just illustrates that if you see a woman knit, you don't pay any attention sort of because it's like, yeah, women knit, and uh, right. I was just uh, just uh, when I started knitting myself, I noticed, ah, oh, you knit, interesting. <laughs> right, right, because suddenly, suddenly, it was important to you, you know, the knitting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and, uh, and uh, there is not, uh, there are not uh, many men who knit. I think uh, it is not my experience, at least, that uh, I don't know any other men knitting. Uh, there are some men who has. Uh, I guess been inspired a little bit by me and started to knit a little bit and uh, but uh, no, but it's it's the, exactly the same over here. It's uh, basically a women's uh, activity. <laughs> well, I think it's great that you and there are some other um, you know knitters out there that are you know coming out with books and doing projects that are public on the internet. And I think it's great to inspire young people that, you know, boys and girls to, to pick up their needles and, and try this because it is really relaxing. I think that's one of the things I love the most about it. Uh, I, yes. am, I am curious about your first, the first hat you made. Did it turn out okay? I mean, because you were doing this by yourself. I still got that hat. Of course, there are some uh, irregularities. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when I look at it now, it, it seems like, uh, yeah, maybe I was made for knitting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it seems like because in such a short amount of time, I know your hat, your book, Hat Heads, one man plus two knitting needles equals 50 fun hat designs. And that's five zero, people, five zero. It's a lot of knit designs in a very short amount of time. With Yeah, but with, it's only it's only maybe a fourth of uh, the amount of hats well, that I Well, yeah, because you are using the same basic, it's a beanie-style hat. and But you, yeah. what you do is you customize like that the band that goes you know closest around the you know like around the forehead there but some of the striping and and diagonals i mean you're doing things that you know i know i was thinking okay if i was going to sit down and just make a hat from scratch would my mind be able to just conjure up these patterns and i think it would involve a little bit of hair pulling on my part and it just seems like (laughs) to you this is because this is a very natural thing for you to do and partnering with your friend for the photos you guys are taking pictures of these beautiful people and the most interesting backgrounds, and in I mean, I think you guys selected some really great spots to do the photo shoots. And I love you the think... fact, yeah, well, and I love Thank the you. fact that this book not only can you look through and, you know, and the publisher is going to let me post one of the patterns on the website to kind of give people oh. a sampling and hopefully get yeah. them inspired to, to buy the whole book. Um, yeah. And one of the things they asked me, well, which pattern do you want? And I flipped through this thing, I think, five times. I couldn't decide. I'm like, well... Geez, that's really hard to do. And I think I ended up uh, the one. There's a red and 
I went by color. What color spoke to me? <laughs> because I couldn't. Uh, okay, I couldn't okay, decide. now I'm curious. Yeah, and I went with, let's see here. I'll, I think it's the one that's red and blue. Um, and there's a young woman wearing the hat. Uh, let's see red, red and blue and young woman. Yeah. What was page? I think one one sixteen, I believe. Silly, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I think this. Hat, I, my, my, I, I really like this hat myself, and I also the portrait. I think is really beautiful. Yeah. Well, the thing is, all the portraits were done really, really well. I thought, and you know, and I think I love the fact that each page in each pattern you have this um, kind of uh, tribute to the person who received the book. You think so? Thank you. Now, you're pictured in here. There's a lot of self-portraits. Did this project initially start with you doing self-portraits? Is that what led you to then give the hats away and take pictures of the people that received them? Actually, it was each time I finished a hat, I had the hat, the habit of putting it on my head and just pointing my camera towards myself and just making a simple picture. It, it was just a habit, really, and uh, and when I put them together in a collage uh, in a mosaic like this, I thought they looked it looked quite like a, visually uh, it looked quite cool. So, but the pictures in the book was actually a reproduction of this because uh, my digital camera wasn't like uh, good enough for book print. So we okay. sort of reproduced these pictures with uh, uh, closest camera and uh, just sort of. Uh, had a pile of hats by my side and I was sitting like really uh, still and I took on one hat and we, we took a picture and I took it off and I took on a new one and tried to just uh, have the same position all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think, and those are hats, are those some of the hats that you gave away or is this a different batch, a different batch of hats? I think actually it's, uh, I think you find there some of the hats that are among the 50 portrait hats and some are not. Do you have a hat that you make that's your favorite? No, not really. I have tend to wear the hat that I most recently made. <laughs> okay. Uh, but of course there are some hats that I have been using over a longer time. and But I don't, maybe you don't find these hats in the book because these are of course hats that I haven't given away. Do you knit every day? Now I don't knit very much because I, I think I'm I think I'm quite project uh, orientated in some sense because uh, now I I now sort of guitar playing has taken the place of uh, knitting. Oh, interesting! Uh, interesting. I I used to play guitar uh, many years ago and I sort of uh, started again. So uh, it's like. Uh, I felt, uh, and it wasn't planned at all. But uh, but when I was uh, when when the material for the book was sort of finished, I get I got this feeling that I sort of crossed a finishing line, because of course it was really exhausting the book project. In the 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 first uh, half of it was sort of of course I started playing with, and it was like experimenting and it was fun. Uh, and but of course when it turns out to be a project. Uh, with a publisher and you have to sort of adapt the book and uh, according to their wishes and uh, of course the the project became more and more like uh, it was quite exhausting in the end because uh, I have never written any patterns, knitting patterns and, uh, and of course it, it was in English uh, on top of all and when the material for the book was finished it was like I had to like uh, lower my shoulders and uh, breathe <laughs> out and, uh, and, 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 and uh, now I, I play a lot of guitar <laughs> and it sort of has replaced the knitting 
in some sense. But I, of course, I still knit, uh, but not like uh, two or three hats a day. <laughs> well, I hope you, I hope you come back to it with renewed, you know, energy after you've had a chance to just recover from. This, yeah, this yeah, book maybe experience. I will. Yeah, and I think that um, you know, fifty patterns, uh, you know, fifty designs in a language that is not the natural language that you do conduct business in normally. I think that's really uh, commendable that you you pulled it off. And yeah, thank you. I have not made a hat yet. I've been busy, but I'm hoping to make, well, definitely the, the one that uh, we're going to have on the website and several others from the book because I just think they're fantastic and you can, okay. you, you, yeah. and you also tell people, let's talk a little bit about designing because you also give people some basics. So if they look in here and they're like, okay, I don't want to do this exact pattern. I want to try to do this myself. You give people some suggestions for that as well. Uh, yes. How to make their own and, and just... You know what? What advice do you have? And obviously, people can get the full story by by getting a copy of the book. But um, what advice do you have for people that are looking to kind of just uh, start designing? Yeah, well, if if they if they would like to do like like I did and and make hats and uh, for other people, I would I would say that uh, take a look at the person you want to design the hat for and look at the clothes they wear. Are they like because normally people uh, have. Uh, general sense of colors they like and the right. colors they fit so so if i if i see a person often wearing blue and i see also maybe that the, the the eyes are blue i think okay she or he needs a hat with at least some blue in it and uh, so eye color is quite actually quite essential i think but also clothes colors and uh, and also uh, the way of being sort of is if it's is it like a calm and quiet person uh, maybe you shouldn't put too much uh, patterns and too much uh, colors and what do i say too much uh, don't make too much of it sort of uh, mm -hmm. But if it's a passionate person and maybe a bit dandy or uh, kind of like the I'm guy on the bus, the guy on the uh, bus. That was yeah, the, the guy on the bus. Maybe yeah, a good example. <laughs> maybe he should have like a bit wrong colors. Maybe and uh, it, it's it's a bit hard to explain because it's like uh, it's very visual and uh, also quite intuitive, at least on my part. The fact that you were able to start knitting and right away start designing hats for people in your life, um, obviously. There is quite a bit of natural ability, I think, represented there. But um, then you did a very kind thing and uh, put that all uh, down in English for us to be able to oh, thank you. follow yeah. your way. Now, is this book being published in your country at all, or can you actually? Get it? It's an in interesting question because uh, because uh, I uh, I don't know if you know, but I, I signed the contract with Watson Gupto, right, the right. publisher. But uh, during the process, uh, the Watson Gupto was bought by Random House. Oh, okay. So, so now I actually, I, 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 but but the Watson Gupto name is still uh, exists, and but but um, when I started the process, uh, the publisher sort of. We talked about maybe I should sort of approach the the publishers in Norway to try to get them interested, and then time haven't Norwegian uh, translated the book. And but then when Random House, when it was all under Random House, uh, I think uh, they have like agent for whole Scandinavia oh, yeah. uh, in uh, in Sweden. This agent's work sort of to or responsibility or to find. Uh, a publisher in in Scandinavia or Norway or Sweden uh, to to make the book, but I have still I have made some phone calls, 
to at least some uh, some bookstores. Just ask and uh, just told them that hey, I made a book that uh, probably should have a big audience because there are so many in- people involved in it. At least they're in my region and probably also in Norway uh, right. in general. Uh, but it's like they. I haven't talked to many yet, but uh, some they say maybe that uh, well we don't import books from from the states. I don't know why. Maybe bureaucracy or maybe it's uh... so. But but an English or no, Norwegian translation is uh, there's no plans for that yet, as far as I know. Well, I hope they do that, and I can tell you that I hope someday to uh, write a book or two. And I, you know, I think that if it was published in Norway in, um, in, in, a, in a language that I is not native to me <laughs> and yes. I didn't get to have that thrill of walking into the bookstore in my town and seeing my book um, yeah. in a way you haven't had that experience yet and I really want, no, you, exactly. I want you to get to have that experience and I think what's so wonderful about this book is it really is global in its appeal because you're showing people of I mean obviously these are people in your life and they're people that live um, pretty much in, around you for the most part. Um, with exactly, few, with yes. Exception. So obviously this is a snapshot of people in one part of the world. However, uh, I was able to, you know, pick this up and, and relate to the fact that it's like, oh, well, you know, this is really cool that this one man has made all these hats for all these people in his life and given us little snapshots of those people. Um, and I, I just think the stories and uh, makes it interesting to people all over the world. So um, I really oh. hope that you get to have that experience one day where you walk into the neighborhood bookstore and uh, get to have maybe these 50 people come and gather with you and have a little party because that's the yeah. way it's supposed to happen. When you put all that yeah, effort it's... and all that work into a book, what have you learned through this process? If you sort of start with a project, you don't really need to know exactly where the, this project is going to take you, but you just stick to the project mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of make it grow. Eventually, it will turn out like a, with a manifest of some kind, like in this case, a book. Uh, if you just keep on doing, 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 and uh, a thing, a creative process, and also you sort of try to take it further and like maybe in involving more people and involving more uh, medias maybe, involving more, uh, just sort of try to make the project bigger in some sense. It's uh, it's also uh, something I learned from, I, I used to make electronic music with uh, the photographer of this book. I learned the same thing then, I think, because then we were like making music with uh, computers and synthesizers. And we <laughs> just and I had this notion that, OK, I'm just going to keep on making, making, making. And eventually and, and what happens when you just have this patience and uh, it will gradual, gradually evolve and it will the product will become uh, better and better and uh Ended up with uh, me and uh, the closer the photographer at that time. We ended up with a record deal, and we made a record, and we had concerts, and so. Wow. So also in that case, it, it sort of uh, it became uh, uh, it, it gave results. And when I started this knitting project, I had this. Uh, I remember this this uh, music project, and thinking, okay, I'm going to do the same with this knitting now. I'm going to just keep on doing it, and. And at early stages, we we imagined that maybe it would we'd end up in an exhibition with these portraits. 
or maybe a book or maybe a big poster that we could sort of uh, send to all the the the, the participants and uh, and uh, so yeah that's what what I've learned from actually both these projects uh, uh, yeah just keep on doing it be be focused and just uh, continue and continue and and that's the same thing I think now when I'm playing the guitar uh, with with a couple of my friends we made a band uh, and I'm very like uh, curious about new music and checking out on the internet and I'm buying CDs and I'm uh, getting lyrics and chords and I'm like trying to to get the momentum on this project and uh, so yeah that's uh, my way of working and thinking. Well, it sounds like it works for you. And I think it's important what you said. A lot of people struggle a lot with they have a creative idea, they have a project they want to do, but they don't know how it's going to turn out. And so they don't yes. do, so they don't do anything or they just exactly. stop. And and I think that a lot of us are curious about, well, I wonder what's going to happen next, but I think part of the adventure of the the most creative projects and the the most fun projects I've ever done are the ones where you don't know what's going to happen next and you but you're having fun so you just continue and yes. um, I think you know this is I'm glad you brought that up because I think that gives people courage then to pursue their own creative projects and not worry so much I mean if it's not illegal and you're not hurting yourself or others then keep doing yes. it <laughs> you know exactly it's okay to keep yes. doing it you know I mean tell me a little bit about your photographer friend how did you meet him. I have to go back 10 years, I guess, maybe. Well, it was quite a coincidence. Uh, I met him through other friends. And uh, we met actually through music because uh, we were visiting some common friends. Or He showed me uh, actually a, a cassette of mu- some music, electronic music mm-hmm. he had been recording. And I said, hey, I also make some electronic music on my computer and uh, I got some, I want to show you, play the music I made and uh, I played and I showed him my music and we just decided, ah, we have to make music together. So we started, uh, that's, that was when this, uh, this uh, project started. So, uh, yeah, that's how we met. Well, it's always nice to have kind of a partner in crime like that, somebody that you can, you have a lot in common with, you're doing, pursuing the same kind of things, and then to um, help kind of spur on these projects, because I think they are easier to complete projects when you have someone, you know, with you invested in the project. So it sounds like you guys are a a great match for these projects. Yes, yes. So yeah, did did you teach Klaus how to knit? No, no, <laughs> no, and he and he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't interested. He wasn't, yeah, he, he he never asked me if I could teach him to knit. <laughs> so, uh, he had enough with his camera. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and that's the thing. The talents complemented each other really well. Yes, because he he got the say he had the same sort of uh, approach as me with the the camera because he like uh, when he starts something new he's like putting a lot of effort into good photos right. and and sort of studying the technique. Now, was he a photographer before you started this project? I mean, was no, this... no, really. He actually he started photographing after I started knitting. Oh, that is you guys are you guys are something else. Seriously, <laughs> I mean you guys come. I mean, <laughs> I mean because there are people out there who who work like aspire to be like a knit pattern designer like for years and years and then you know people that study photography and try to you know and i i love the fact that you guys just decide hey we're gonna do this thing and then you do it 
and then you go on to the next project. I mean, I think that's fantastic. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations. It's just, uh, to me, it's like just natural thing, I guess. Yeah, no, but, I think it's great. Uh, but I, I see, yeah, it's nice to hear that uh, it's appreciated. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're good photos, you know, they're fun photos and um, with really vibrant backgrounds and just the contrast of the hats and the settings that you guys selected for those. Uh, yeah, I think it's really fun. Have you ever made a hat for somebody that they didn't like? Has that ever happened? Uh, I have to think. Uh, probably they wouldn't tell me anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but uh, but I haven't made hats for people and uh, thought myself that no, this doesn't fit. I have to I have to make you a new one. Oh really? And it, yeah. and I have to maybe two or three times. This is the wrong color? Maybe this doesn't fit you or. Mostly people have enjoyed and thought that they look good. But of course, like I said, <laughs> when you get a piece of handmade work, it's hard to say that you don't like it. Right. But you can't say, can I take this back to the store? Because there's no store to take it back to. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a delicate thing. So It is uh, quite delicate, yes. <laughs> so, so how did you decide who to make the hats for? Because some of these people obviously are very close to you. Other people, you know, aren't as close as, you know, like family and so forth. But um, how did you decide who was going to be part of this project? Oh, it's really quite uh, intuitive almost. Or it's like uh, people might have come over to me and asked, uh, can you make me a hat? And I said, oh, yeah, of course. And I look at them and okay. And sometimes I just thought, well, obviously, I start, I, in the beginning, I, of course, made hats for my closest friends and family but of course when uh, when I've made hats for all those I had to sort of uh, uh, go a bit wider in my circle and uh, and then it just like uh, of course people after a while the project like uh, got uh, publicity and, and and people knew that I was making hats and 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 then lots of people asked me uh, hey can you make me a hat and and then uh, I said, uh, either I could say, well, I have to think about it. There's two or three persons I have to make to have to before, but uh, but I've noticed you now, or I have uh, like uh, ordered your <laughs> request, sort of, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I've just like been knitting to the people I wanted, and sometimes I I've been thinking, ah, oh, this person, uh, I sort of immediately see. Uh, a hat that fits or I immediately think that ah uh, oh, this is an interesting challenge to make a hat for this person and so yeah it's like that well and in a way it's almost like your book is a little bit autobiographical because on every page people get a sense of how you know the person and a little bit about that person so in a way it tells us a little bit about your world and the people in it yes because so, it's not often that I interview people and I can see on page 126 your girlfriend's mother. It's yes. pretty interesting. And also, yeah, your, your, you. your, your photographer is in here as well. And did you take his picture? Yes, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah, I guess I did. Yes. And I, yeah, he sort of like tuned the camera and made the adjustments. And I just <laughs> told me to press this button. <laughs> So yeah. And so yeah, you could yeah, but I mean, it's just I just think it's a, a great project, and I, it's no wonder that you know when you put the photos up on Flickr that it it took off because these are the kinds of things that have mass appeal. So 
yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. yeah, well, and I wish you well on your on your music project, and we'll. I hope you do come back to the fiber arts because I think you have a yep. lot to contribute. Yeah, probably I will once uh, I start knitting again. But, but I guess I, the thing that I have a pause now is uh, it was uh, very much the end of the project. So I guess I just needed to uh, to distance myself from it a little bit. And yeah. uh, but I, I still, of course, I know the meditative and and pleasant sides about knitting. So uh, I will come back to it. Yeah, probably. Well, I really do hope that Tron does find his way back to the fiber arts and picks his knitting needles up again for some other kind of community project because I think this one was just fabulous. Uh, but I also respect the fact that he's kind of moving on to, you know, the music. He gets these ideas and he goes with them. And I hope if you take anything away from this episode, I hope it's that creative energy that really, I think he, he really puts out a lot of creative energy. And I, I thought it was great to hear how he pretty matter-of-factly just decides, well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to knit hats and then we're going to, <laughs> we're going to do this big project and we're going to, you know, he has his friend taking pictures and his friend was not a trained photographer and the pictures turned out just fine and they're fun and interesting. And I, I really think that's great. I mean, because so many times we limit ourselves. We come up with other reasons why we can't do something. And then by that time, you know, by the time you're done with that, you're, you're like exhausted. You're like, okay, well, that was, that was great. You know, while well, it lasted that five minutes of like, getting caught up in something and then talking yourself out of it for a series of days after. I think it's great what he's done. And I hope you're inspired to go full steam ahead with your next creative idea. I want to take a a moment here to thank my sponsors once again, because after all, my sponsors make it possible for me to keep this podcast going. So I really appreciate that. I'd like to take a moment first to thank Rena Ward of Nostalgems. And she's giving away two brass heart initials necklaces at facebook.nostalgems.com dot com she's running this giveaway contest before she actually starts selling these items so you can't really get them any other way right now you can see more from rena at nostalgems.etsy.com or you can go over to nostalgems.co.nz and also congratulations to rena on her 11th wedding anniversary that's wonderful i'd also like to thank marianne loverm at wabi sabi brooklyn for sponsoring this episode of craft sanity i really appreciate it uh, head over to her shop to see these really cool, she takes pennies and coins and decoupages them and really transforms these everyday elements that we have in our pockets and the bottom of our purse into these really precious jewelry pieces. So go check that out. I think you're going to enjoy it. Again, you can find Marianne's creations at wabisabibrooklyn.etsy.com. Thanks again, ladies. I really appreciate your support. If any of you would like to sponsor an upcoming episode of Craft Sanity, you can go to craftsanity.com and click on the sponsors link, and there's information there. I am going to be recording a new batch of shows soon, so if you have some ideas, I always go back to that list of my super-duper long list of names that listeners have requested. But what I tend to do is when I get multiple requests for the same person, I do kind of try to you know move that person up the list a little bit. And I want to thank the people who have been posting some really great stuff. We've had some contests where people have shared, you know, like the one, I think one of my favorite contests of all times was when Abby, the guest on episode 100, and she made Soft Sculpture Bird to give away. 
and I mean, obviously the prize was most excellent, so I can understand why a lot of people entered, but one of the things I thought was so great is that people, you know, we asked people, like, if, if Abby and I had a play date with our kids, you know, got our kids together, what could we do? And some of the suggestions were just great. So, I mean, I love that. In fact, I'm going to use that as a reference now when I'm trying to come up with projects for my kids to do with their friends when they come over. So if you missed that, check back on episode 100 to the posted comments. I'm going to save all my other chatter for the after show. So those of you who have to get on to something else are free to go. (laughs) So I'm going to be talking a little bit about my latest creative venture in the after show. So thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I will be back soon with an interview with Sally Melville, the knitter, author, and creativity-inspiring woman who will be in West Michigan soon. She's going to be teaching some workshops in mid-September here in Grand Rapids. But yeah, so that's the little preview for the next episode. And I'm hoping to have that out in a week's time, so I won't make you wait as long for that episode. So come on back soon. Have a great week, and in the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Okay, so you decided to stick around for the after show. Well, this after show is going to be maybe surprising to you, um, maybe not, if you've looked at craftsanity.com, where I announced, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I've lost track now, my latest creative venture. I did this TV segment about, oh, I don't know, in early July, where I was showing people how to make loopers for looper pot holders out of recycled t-shirts. So I'd gone to Goodwill and bought all these old t-shirts, and I think I cut up a few of my own too, I can't remember, and um, made these. I had a lot of fun, got the pot holder loom out, and I happened to have a wooden one that I bought, oh, probably like eight or nine years ago, and then I had the metal, uh, one metal one as well. And my, my daughters were helping me make the samples for the TV segment. They're both kind of fighting a little bit over the wooden one. They, no, they did not like to work on the metal one. I couldn't really blame them because I don't really like to work on the metal one either. So, I, you know, I thought, geez, I, I really got to get another one of these wood potholder looms. And I, my intention was to get two more because I wanted to make sure that I could participate in the potholder making. Because I never really outgrew looper potholders and weaving on peg looms and all that. So... I decide, you know, that I'm going to try to find some more of these. But then, you know, I did the segment, and once the little video clip was put up on YouTube and people were watching it, people subscribed to the the little feed. Uh, I started getting email from people saying, oh, where did you get that loom, and where can I get one? And, you know, so I started looking around, and I'm like, geez, I, I don't really remember where I got this thing. And so I I just kept getting email about it. So I thought, you know, I've always wanted to make looms, and, and so I, I started making looms, and this whole concept is still kind of unbelievable to me because I've always loved weaving, like, since I was a small child, and some of my earliest weaving experiences were definitely with the potholder loom. My parents had, a, my mom had a metal, like, black metal one, and I think that one was actually from her childhood, and still in her basement, and I used that potholder loom to make a lot of potholders, and you know, I think I had grand intentions of stitching them all together, and I don't know what I actually made. I can't remember. But anyway, I basically <laughs> just launched into this in July, a couple weeks after the TV segment aired, and people were asking me about the loom. And, and I tried, I really tried hard to find kind of what I was looking for, like the ideal wooden loom. And I couldn't really find what I was looking for because I had been, I mean, 
basically I've been, I've spent the last 10 years thinking about, geez, you know, if I knew how to do stuff with wood, I'd be able to like build my own looms. And if I <laughs> had all the tools, you know, so I, uh, what I did is I, I thought, geez, I can go and I can buy a drill press and I can sit there and I can drill out all these looms and I can try to fumble around with saws and try to keep my fingers and, and make these looms. And what I ended up doing is I called up a local woodworker here in West Michigan, a guy named Dan Boy. And I met him because I met him at the art market in town and actually wrote about him. Uh, I want to say it's been a couple years. So I interviewed him for my column and, you know, I, he's the first person I thought of. And I thought, geez, I'm kind of this independent contractor now and I, I got to find a way to make a living in this world. And I figured, okay, this is one way to support the podcast. You know, if I can make some looms and I thought worst case scenario, I would have a lot of looms for myself <laughs> and I would have them in every size that I've ever dreamed of. So anyway, in a matter of weeks, I, I mean, I had this meeting with Dan where I told him, okay, this is what I'm looking to do. And I want to make this pothole loom, but I also want to make looms in like every size, like around, you know, you can imagine. So we first went potholder loom size, which is like this 13 peg loom. And then we went up to a 17 and then a 19 and then you know, we're up to like in the twenties. And then next thing you know, there's a placemat loom and a rug loom. And then we went back down the other direction where I went coaster size and then Christmas ornament size. So yes, this Christmas, the people who are on my Christmas list are going to be getting little mini pot holders uh, made on a mini pot holder loom that is made of oak. And um, I'm also going to make a little swag for my kitchen of like these mini little pot holders. And you can make loopers for them. Uh, the, the traditional one is the same size as like the metal one. So you can buy, you can use store-bought loopers. And you can make your own with t-shirts to weave on any of these things. So it's really funny because I just opened an Etsy shop like two days ago. And so I actually sold some looms. I, mean, I was at the post office today. I fumbled around. I mean, those of you who have Etsy shops or of any kind of handmade business, I really applaud you because, you know, I thought I knew a thing or two about selling handmade goods because I used to weave rugs and chenille scarves that I would sell at little art shows around the area. And I did that kind of briefly back like eight to 10, I think it was about eight years ago. So I haven't done it for a while, but I never had this like mail order business at all. Like I never had in an Etsy shop. I mean, that was way before, that was before Etsy was even available. And I mean, I really respect you folks that are, I mean, I was like, Etsy is set up really, really great because you don't have a lot, need to know a lot of techie stuff and you can set up a shop. But let me tell you, even though it's easy, I still kind of struggled a little bit because I'm just so antsy and I couldn't wait to like list the thing because I was really proud to show the world this loom. And I just listed 10 looms and I, I sold, I think I sold seven or eight. I can't remember. I mailed out eight today and they went to New Zealand. One went to New Zealand, one went to Canada, several scattered around the United States. Thank you. If any of you are listening that purchased looms, that was really cool. And even if I don't ever sell any more looms, <laughs> the funny thing that happens when you make something and then someone buys it and then you're like, wow, that was really cool. It kind of validates this idea that you had and validates this this thing that you made that you feel like, okay, people like it, you know? So that was really, that was kind of cool. But I do respect those of you who are doing like the packaging every day. Cause this is, I mean, that's not any small task. So I really, I have a whole new appreciation and respect for all you folks that have Etsy shops and you've been making a living that way because it, it's, it's um, great to be able to work from home, but it's just, I was like, wow, yeah, look, these order, orders are coming in. And then when I was 
writing up the instructions and packing the boxes and all that. And I wrote little thank you notes to everyone who ordered one. And I started to feel a little bit overwhelmed, you know, and I didn't immediately, I haven't relisted anything yet. I have plenty of loom sitting around the house, so I have to do that. But I'm going to take a little breather. <laughs> I have no plans to be the top seller. I just don't know if I have the kind of endurance and stamina for that. But I'm going to, you know, I've been going to local art shows here in town for the last couple of weeks making these little, I've been making looms. What I do is I partnered with Dan. And so what I do is I went to Dan and I said, okay, here's my design ideas. Here's what I want made. Can you do that? And he said, he sure could. And he makes the frames for me. So all the, the loom frames are made out of oak and he drills the holes. So then I take them home and I put all the pegs in and then I, you know, do some sanding and then I put the oil finish on and so I'm spending a lot more time than I ever imagined um, pounding pegs into loom frames. And surprisingly, I thought it was going to be, at first I was like, man, I think I'm going to get tired of this real quick. But I'm not getting tired of it. And I think uh, what, why I'm not getting tired of it is because when I go out to these little artist markets, um, there's an artist market here every Sunday in Grand Rapids, where all these people come out from all over the city and neighboring areas, and they've been making things all week, and they bring their stuff and they sell it. And the part I love the most is... I have kind of an interactive booth because I'm just not one to be idle any time. I'm always like I have to be doing something. So I set up my booth and I bring a bunch of scrap fabric. I've been tearing up a lot of old sheets and just any kind of fabric I can get my hands on. And I bring it with me. So if people buy a loom, uh, I set it up. So when they leave, you know, they're making a fabric pot holder on one of the, whatever loom size they want. And I'm, little kids kind of hang out by my booth because um, I let them weave on the sample looms. And, you know, it's really, really fun. And I didn't invent the potholder loom and I didn't, you know, really come up. I didn't come up with the way, you know, to weave fabric on it. I've just known how to do it for a really long time. I'm not sure actually when I started, you know, actually I don't really think until a couple months ago I did a whole lot of weaving with fabric on the potholder loom, but I usually always use loopers. And once I started doing that, it's like the whole this new world opened to me and now I'm working on a rug and have some bags planned and all these things. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because I, this is the first time in my life that I think I've ever just I got an idea and I just went with it. Uh, so within two months, I'd gone from the idea of, I want to build looms just like this and came up with some designs to actually, you know, then I, we did some prototyping where I would weave on some things, you know, take the frames home, put the pegs in, weave, the, weave a couple samples up to see if, is this really the right size, like I'm working tonight on a placemat loom that we designed it to be bigger. You know, this is not something if you would have asked me three months ago, you know, will you be building looms in your house in a couple, in three months? I would have said, no, you're crazy. Why would, why would I ever do that? Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we, I think we always end up doing, if we're open to it, we end up doing the things we're really meant to do. I was really resistant for a long time to um, trying any kind of creative idea. Because I would always second-guess myself and deliberate and drive my husband crazy asking, should I do it or should I wait or should I do it? Should I? You know, and it's funny, actually, when I said I never jumped into anything in my life, actually, the podcast, I jumped into that I, without really any deliberation at all. I just kind of jumped into it. And I kind of am doing the same thing with the looms. And I know that I've been getting up early. Like, I got up early on Saturday to go to the farmer's market because it's a lottery to get in. Uh, crafters have to get into the lottery because the first uh, dibs on the stalls go to the farmers, which makes sense since it's a farmer's market. But I got up at like 5.30 in the morning 
hauled my stuff out there. It was raining and it was cold and I had a great time. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's definitely not a get rich quick scheme because I, I think anything art and craft related isn't ever going to be a get rich quick scheme. I'm not trying to build an empire. I'm just trying to teach the world to craft basically. So anyone who stops by the booth, whether or not they're going to buy a loom, I don't really care. I tell people how to weave on cardboard, how to weave with their old metal potholer looms. You know, but it's so fun, especially when there's this little girl named Sam that came up on uh, Saturday at the farmer's market, and she was, like, giddy, like, giggling giddy about this loom. I hope she's not listening, because I don't want to ruin the surprise. They were shopping for a present for her friend's birthday, and her mom, she's like, oh, this would be, her mom was like, this would be a great gift for your friend, and she's like, oh, but can we get two? I really would like one, and her mom said, no, you know, your birthday's coming up, and She's like, okay, well, I'll spend my birthday money on this. And I'll, I mean, she was just so excited about it. And I just thought, geez, you know, she reminded me of myself. Because I like, when I was a kid, I mean, I would get like all geeked out about stuff. And um, she learned how to use it. I showed her what to do, how to weave fabric on it. And she was excited about giving this thing to her friend. And her mom slipped me this note saying, I'm going to buy, I'm paying for two, but my daughter doesn't know. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. So, you know, it's, it's really fun when you see, like, somebody get really excited about something that's art and craft related. So I kind of see myself more like an educator. Uh, somebody goes out in the public and tries to teach them some of these skills. Yeah, I'm not so, so good at the sales pitch. <laughs> so, in fact, I might actually talk people out of buying things. If I'm like, oh, well, you could use this to do that, if, you know. Um, <laughs> so that's okay. That's okay. That's not really what this is all about. So anyway, that's my latest venture. I promise not to turn Craft Sanity into a commercial for peg looms. But if you want one, you know, send me an email. I'll have a little a link to the Etsy shop on the blog. So you know, this is just one more way you can support the podcast. So I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And as Tron said, that doesn't really matter so much because I'm having fun now and I'm just going to kind of see where it goes. I might retire from loom making soon or I might be doing this still in 10 years. Who knows? All I know is that when my former boss walked by my booth on Saturday and I was, I looked ridiculous. I was wearing a Craft Sanity t-shirt, a pretty wild print apron, and I had a headscarf on. And so I looked, I had gotten a really bad sunburn the previous weekend from being out at the, at the market. And it hurt to brush my hair. So I, I, even though it was overcast I, and rainy, I put a headscarf on because I'm like, I'm not getting burned again. And um, so I looked kind of silly. And I'm like tearing up fabric behind this booth. And he walked by and he was just kind of like looking at me like, oh, you sad little girl. Because, <laughs> you know, I left this stable job and I'm, now hawking looms at farmer's markets. And I just kind of laughed and I smiled really big because I thought, oh, I don't work for you anymore. <laughs> and I'm so happy about that. So, you know, I have no regrets. And I just encourage all of you who, you know, might be, you know, on the verge of doing something that's just this idea you've had. And, you know, sometimes if you don't hesitate, you can kind of catch a wave and just kind of go with it. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll update you and see how I feel about pounding pegs into wooden frames in a few more weeks. We'll see if it still has the the charm that it has now, and I'm still into it, but uh, yeah. So anyway, that's I think I've uh, talked long enough, so I'll be back soon with another episode of the show. Until then, happy weaving, everyone.